Well, good morning. My name is Chris Kopp. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Blockhawk. It is so good to be with all of you this morning. I am super excited for what is to come this morning because we are in week three of our Live This Book series that takes us through the story of the Bible. And we're going to kind of follow some threads and some themes throughout the scriptures as we come across them. And today we're really going to be laying the groundwork for the rest of the story in many ways. And we're going to look at the first plot point that you just heard in that video. And that's this, that God has a plan for a harmonious world ruled by humans and community with him. And today specifically, we're going to look at Genesis 1 and talk about a God who creates a physical world. Now, right off the bat, some of you hear that we're looking at Genesis 1 and you start coming up with a list of questions, right? Like, how many days did it take God to create the world? How did he create the world? How old is the earth? All of those sorts of things. And for many of us, like how we answered those questions or how we interpreted the first chapter of the Bible, and depending on the community or the church that we came from, it served as kind of a litmus test for if we took seriously the rest of the Bible, right? Like give the the wrong answer just one chapter in, and it doesn't even matter what you think about Jesus or the other 1188 chapters in the Bible, right? If that's you, I've been there, I've been a part of a community like that, but I want to encourage you to lean in this morning. I think you'll be encouraged. And then there's probably some people in the room, like all of this Jesus, all of this Christianity stuff is pretty new to you. And so you're thinking, man, Chris, Christians believe some really weird stuff when it comes to creation. Like, is this the point where I got to like check my intellect at the door and stop believing in science and all that kind of stuff? And no, don't, don't do that. Don't check your intellect at the door. We wouldn't ask you to do that. But same thing. That was me before I became a Christ follower. But I think you'll hear something a little bit different this morning. So at first, I thought we would dig into some of those questions, like how did God create the world? How many days? All of those sorts of scientific questions. But I decided to go in a little different direction. And I'll explain more why in just a second. But first, a story. All right, all sides, all venues, show of hands, how many people work in the field of healthcare? Raise them up. All right, that's a lot of people in this room. Thank you so much for what you do. And really, man, over the past two and a half years of this pandemic that we've been in, I can't even imagine how hard that's been on you and your family and your relationships. So thank you for serving our communities in that way. All right, similar question. All sites, all venues, raise of hands if you have ever or currently work for Epic here in Madison. Anyone? All right, there's a lot in this room at least. Maybe it would have been easier to ask how many people have not worked for Epic, but there's actually a couple of us on staff here at Blockhawk that used to work for Epic as well, one of whom is me. I worked in Epicare Ambulatory um, doing quality assurance until 2012 when my wife and I moved to Denver, Colorado so that I could do grad school. And I really enjoyed my time there. I really enjoyed the food first and foremost, right? Uh, But I also enjoyed the times that I got to travel. And my first ever trip was a trip to New York City to support some doctors and some nurses there as they first began to use the Epic software for the first time. So we flew into LaGuardia, got situated in our hotel, ordered some takeout pizza that was delivered to us, and then got a good night's sleep before waking up early and heading to the clinic the next day. And things were going pretty well when that afternoon, one of the nurses was having trouble signing into hyperspace. That's the name of the, the Epic software where doctors and nurses chart and record things and all that kind of stuff. So I pulled out my phone to call the help desk 
And this is a little of how that conversation went. And just for the sake of dramatization, I bought my kids play phones. So thank you, Addie and Micah, for letting me borrow that. All right, so this is how the conversation went. Yeah, this is Chris from the clinic. Uh, I've got a nurse that can't sign into hyperspace. I'm just wondering if you can give us a hand, maybe verify her login information. Uh, can you repeat that? Yeah, I have a nurse that can't get signed into hyperspace. I'm wondering if you can give us a hand. Uh, she can't get signed into what exactly? Hyperspace! She can't get signed into hyperspace. Like, you know, the thing that you're supposed to be an expert in. Okay, I didn't really say that, but I'm getting frustrated and agitated at this point, right? And so after a long pause, the voice on the other end of the phone comes back and says, uh, sir, this is Wild Bill's New York pizza. I was mortified and hung up the phone. Apparently, I had called the pizza place from the night before and not the help desk. They're probably thinking, what in the world is this guy talking about, right? <laughs> Why do I tell this story? Because in the same way that we shouldn't call up a pizza place to get answers about our questions, about how, to, how nurses and doctors can get signed into hyperspace, we shouldn't come to the Bible, and specifically to Genesis 1, to get answers to our modern scientific questions about how the world was created and that kind of thing. Because I would suggest that Genesis 1 and the scriptures are not all that interested in answering our modern questions about how the world was created and how many days it took and all those sorts of things. What we need to do is we need to take a step back and then rather than imposing and inserting our own questions, we need to be able to take a fresh look at things and ask what kinds of questions is the text setting out to answer. So that's what we're going to try to do today, is let the text speak for itself, take a step back, and not impose our own questions. It's not that they're bad questions. They're really good questions. They might just be better answered elsewhere. Uh, for example, uh, there are tons of resources on this topic of science and faith and creation and all those sorts of things. We'll link many of them on our resource page on the website, so definitely check that out. And then there's also a lot of scientists here in the Madison area who consider themselves Christ followers, and they would say that their study of science has actually led them deeper into their faith. Uh, this past week, Pastor Chris Dolson and I sat down with one of them, a guy named Jeff Harden, who's a professor at the University of Wisconsin. He teaches genetics and biology. And we just had this great conversation about how his study of science has led him deeper into faith. So man, if you're wrestling through some of these different questions of science and faith and creation, or maybe you're a freshman on campus taking some of these classes for the first time, I can't recommend listening to that conversation more highly. So that'll release uh, this coming Thursday. And then later in October, Pastor Chris is going to be leading a faith and science course where he is going to bring in several different scientists from the Madison area to be able to go after some of these kinds of questions. But today we're not going to deep, or we're not going to dig much into matters of science. What we are going to do is try to get an answer to three questions that I believe Genesis one is trying to answer, and that's these: What is God like? How is He at work in the world? And what is the purpose of creation? And if we pay attention, we'll see over the next eight months together in this series that Genesis one isn't the only time that creation themes come out in the scriptures. And so even today, we're going to follow that thread a little bit into the New Testament and look at some places where creation comes up again. So today, we're going to go on a little bit of a journey. Sound good? Thank you for that. And as every journey does, let's start at 
the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 1. If you have a Bible or a device, go ahead and open that up. Here's verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now notice the words formless and empty. Darkness was hovering over the surface of the deep. In the ancient Near East context that this was written in, uh, the sea and darkness were known to be places of disorder and chaos. And so what we see so far in these, first two verse, in these first two verses is a world that doesn't have order. It doesn't have structure or, uh, or purpose. It's not harmonious. Uh, that's to come. But God is there. Let's keep reading verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, in these next few verses, God begins to, like, order and structure the pieces, right? It doesn't necessarily describe him, like, creating the materials that the world came from. Those are already there, though a case can be made in other parts of Scripture that God is the one who created those things but he's arranging the pieces. He's giving structure. He's giving purpose. He's bringing order. And how does he do it? He simply speaks. And God said, and then boom, all of these things just happen. We know from ancient literature around this time that other gods, they were also attempting to keep the powers of chaos and disorder at bay, but they did it by like waging battle, waging war against the powers of disorder and chaos. Our God, he simply speaks. He's powerful. And notice as you're skimming, maybe in the Bible that's in front of you, or you're reading this on your own later in the week, that the text doesn't say that God is all of these things. He's not the sun, the moon, and the stars. It's not like those are deities themselves, but no, he's powerful and majestic. He's the one that puts them in place to do his bidding, to serve his purposes. So already we're getting an answer to our first question. What is God like he is immensely powerful, more powerful than any other gods in the ancient Near East. He spoke the cosmos into order. Now, some of you know that um, my wife and I lived in Denver, Colorado for a little over six years before we moved back to Madison so that we could be here at Blockhawk Church. Um, and one of the things that I miss most is the mountains. We lived about 10 to 15 minute drive from just being able to, to go up into the Rocky Mountains just about any time that we wanted. And uh, the, the main road, the main interstate that heads out of the Denver area up into the Rockies is Interstate 70, is I-70. How many people have driven that road, have taken that road before? A lot of hands. So as you're headed out, you're like headed up this steep road. It's winding and turning at times. You might pass like a herd of bison on the right or the left. You're climbing and climbing and you're passing semis and it feels like they're going like 30 miles an hour, like they're almost never going to make it to the top. And then finally you come over the first major ridge and there before you is the majestic snow-capped Rocky Mountains and the Continental Divide and the distance I love that drive. It would take my breath away every single time. See, the thing about mountains for me is that it has a way of reminding me of God's power in creation. He created all of this, and not just all of this, but the entire universe, the entire cosmos. Are you kidding me? 
And being reminded of his power in creation has a way of right-sizing me that I'm a small part in his story. God is immensely powerful. And as we'll see as we continue through uh, Genesis 1, we're not going to read every single verse, but we'll see God using his power to bring life and flourishing. He's using his power for a good purpose. Here's some of the things that he does and creates over the next six days. Day two, he separates the sea and sky. Day three, he creates plants and trees. Day four, puts lights in the sky to order time. And days five and six, he fills his creation with living creatures, both humans and animals. So in other words, as he's separating things and creating things, just as we saw in the first few verses, we get a glimpse of how God is at work in the world. And that's this, that from the beginning of the story to the end of the story, God is actively at work bringing order out of chaos. Much more on that later. Hang on to that. Let's keep reading. Let's skip ahead to verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, there is a ton that we could say about those verses right there. Books and books and volumes and volumes have been written just about those verses. So we're going to save that for Pastor Charles next week. And he is going to devote an entire message to talking about the image of God and what that means. It's, I've seen it. It's going to be a great message. You're not going to want to miss that. But for today, I just wanted us to see it in context, to notice that God orders and he structures all of these things. He makes it harmonious. He makes it just right. And then, and only then, does he put human beings into place on the final creative day to rule and to dwell with him. Again, more on that next week. Let's keep reading. Let's finish out this chapter. Skip ahead to verse 31. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done." Now, when we read about God resting, I think oftentimes we think like, man, God has literally been moving heaven and earth over the past six days, right? So he's getting tired. So he goes home on a Sunday afternoon and after watching the Packers just demolish the Buccaneers and Tom Brady, he, what does he do? He goes and he takes a nap. He goes and sleeps. That's, that's what we think, right? But God doesn't get tired. And in the ancient Near East context, rest has to do with temple. It has to do with God moving into the temple that he has just created. Creation is God's temple. And he gets situated to to dwell there and to rule there with human beings. Now, maybe you're thinking like, what in the world is this temple stuff about? Chris, the word temple isn't even in these passages. And you're right, it's not. And that is why this is so easy to miss several thousand years after it was written. 
But if you ask anyone in the ancient Near East, where do the gods rest? They would tell you they rest in a temple. We also know from uh, ancient literature that kings, they, before they moved into their temple, they would put images of themselves in that temple as a representation of their power and their jurisdiction. So it's not a coincidence that what does God do on his final day of creating? He creates human beings in his image, and then he puts them into his creation, into his temple. And there we get our final question answered. What is the purpose of creation? Creation serves as God's temple, the place where he dwells. God's presence fills his temple and moves into all of creation. And that's the first part of the story. That's the first major plot point. It's a beautiful picture of the world that God created. It's this ideal kind of world that's the goal of what God has intended for us. Again, that was the first major plot point, that God has a plan for a harmonious world ruled by humans in community with him. That's Genesis 1. But I know what many of us are thinking. You're thinking this is all a bunch of nonsense. This isn't what the world is really like. Like, yeah, that might be a beautiful picture of the ideal, but man, the world is chaotic. It's full of disorder. Actually, it feels cruel and dangerous at times. And you would be right. Every single year, worldwide, hundreds of thousands of homes are destroyed as a result of flooding and natural disasters. Doesn't exactly sound like a world of harmony and order, right? I mean, even right now, there are two separate hurricanes bearing down on multiple countries about to wreak havoc thousands of miles east of here, right? We just came out of two and a half years of this global pandemic that's taken millions of lives worldwide, some of the people that we know and love, and led to an economic crisis and to mental health crisis and all of these sorts of things. So the point is, yes, Genesis 1 is not a reality. That's not the world that we experience it today. There is something that went wrong. There's something missing. It's not the world as God created it like it should be. We'll talk more about why that is in just a few weeks. So all of that begs the question, right? Like, if God intended for this to happen, but this is our current reality, and we experience this dissonance, did God just give up on having a world full of order and harmony? Is he content, like, just to sit back and watch his temple be destroyed, watch everything fall into chaos and disorder? And let me humbly suggest, no. Genesis 1 is a reminder to us that, no, the world is not as it should be. We have messed it up. But it also foreshadows the fact that God continues to intervene, continues to pursue his people. And from the beginning of the story to the end of the story, God is actively at work bringing order out of chaos. Why? Because all of creation is his temple. And because it's his temple, he's passionate about restoring all that's been broken. He has a vested interest in making sure this restoration project succeeds. Now, if you ask my wife, uh, she would quickly tell you that early on in our marriage, I was not the most orderly or clean person in the world. But 12 years of marriage later, and I not only crave that, but I need that in my life. Like if there's one room in our house that's just full of chaos and mayhem, I, I have a hard time focusing. It's hard to, to kind of live in a situation like that. 
which is why my arch nemesis is cardboard delivery boxes. Now, how many people, especially over the last two and a half years, like you find that you almost never shop in stores in person anymore, but you just have so many things delivered to your home. Come on, I'm not the only one, right? That's probably most of us in here. Especially for our family, man, thank God for delivery drivers because they literally helped our family function over the last two years in particular. So when, um, when our kids see delivery boxes on the front porch, they get really excited because it usually means that there's something for them. But I see impending chaos. Like my heart starts racing. Maybe I get the cold sweats because I know that this is about to happen. That's an actual picture from our garage taken a few days ago because all of those boxes inevitably get like stacked in the garage, maybe up to the ceiling or strewn around the house and the packaging materials everywhere, all sorts of things. It's just absolute mayhem until recycling day comes and it drives me crazy. It's hard to function when I know that that exists in our garage. Now, maybe for you, the thing that you can't stand that like kind of makes you restless is like dirty dishes in the sink, right? Or laundry stacking up or kids' toys everywhere, no matter how many times a day you try to clean it up, or like that one little room in your house that you just try not to think about because it makes you anxious, just thinking about how it needs to be organized because it's just an absolute disaster. See, the point is we all need and crave order in our lives in some capacity. Even the most messy people among us, like we can't live in prolonged chaos and disorder for an extended period of time. And all of this, the entire cosmos, all of it is God's. It's his temple. You better believe that he is going to bring order and harmony. So part of what we see playing out over the next uh, chapters of the Bible, all throughout um, the scriptures to the end, is how God is going to once again bring a harmonious world in the midst of this new reality that things aren't like Genesis 1. So with the remainder of our time, let's actually do that right now. Obviously, we have to take a very high level of things. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty details. But let's look into the New Testament of how some of the earliest Jesus followers, how they answered this question of why this dissonance between Genesis 1 and our current reality. And we'll see how they find their answers in the person of Jesus. So again, if you have a Bible or a device, turn to John 1, and we're going to look at verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now it's hard not to see the parallels with Genesis 1, right? Like, in the beginning, all things were made. It's like John's very own creation account, but with Jesus at the center. And when we get to verse five, it's like he's very specifically answering the question of whether the world is just gonna continue to fall into disorder and decay or whether God is going to do something. Look at verse five. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. No, the world isn't as it should be, but take heart because God is at work. He's doing something. How? Through a person named Jesus. That's what verse 14 is all about. Look at verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In other words, lest you think darkness and disorder have overcome 
like think again, because God has moved into the neighborhood. He is doing something. John 1 recalls the imagery of Genesis 1 to remind us that the same God who was in the beginning speaking order into the cosmos is now here with us. He's getting his hands dirty. He is at work. We can be confident of that. But this time, don't miss this. This time, God not only separates darkness and light to keep chaos and disorder at bay, that's what we saw in Genesis 1, but the light invades the darkness and it overcomes it. I love that. This picture of Jesus who's intimately involved in his creation to reverse the decay and the disorder that we currently see in our world so that once again, we can live and rule in a place that's harmonious and full of order alongside God. And if we turn to the very final pages of the Bible, the final couple chapters of Revelation, man, newsflash, God succeeds. He wins. There's no more darkness, no more pain, no more mourning. Everything is made new. He doesn't do it by like burning everything up in a fiery ball only to start over again. If that happens, God's failed. His temple's been destroyed and he just has to start the whole thing over. But no, he continues He finishes the work of restoration and bringing order out of chaos that's already begun. See, the story is headed toward this finale where the place where God rules and dwells with human beings is once again a place of perfect order. It's this epic story of how God is at work in the world. Again, from the beginning of the story to the end of the story, God is actively at work bringing order out of chaos. All right, how are we doing? That's a lot. That's like drinking from a fire hose. We've been on quite a journey, starting with Genesis 1, all the way through Revelation. So we've covered the whole Bible. Congratulations. We did it. Series over, right? But how do we, yeah, how do we begin to apply this to our lives? This is epic story, but so what? What do we do with this? Well, there's probably a lot of things that we could do with it, but the thing that stood out to me most over these past few weeks as I've been studying this and been working through it, the thing that's ministered most to me is this, that because we have a God who is immensely powerful, who brings order out of chaos and who is with us, we have a reason for hope and comfort. I can still vividly remember the early days of the COVID pandemic where, man, I was just driving down Mineral Point. I can remember exactly where I was when I heard on the radio that March Madness was being canceled. All these things were shutting down. Our city was shutting down. And early on in that process, our son, Micah, who was nine months old, uh, he had this really nasty cold. He was, um, he was barely sleeping. He was coughing, sneezing, all this sort of stuff. And I'm not normally one that gets really anxious about these sorts of things, but I just remember uh, sitting up late with my wife one night talking about like, what in the world are we going to do if this continues to get worse and we need to take him to a hospital, to the ER, in the midst of this global pandemic that at the time we knew almost nothing about. And it just began to wreck me and eat at me as I tried to sleep that night. I remember getting up uh, at one point in the middle of the night to check on him. So I stood up, but I just had to sit down right away because I was overcome with dizziness and with chills. My wife had to go in and, and attend to him because my heart, like it was, was beating faster and faster. My chest was tightening. I felt like I could hardly breathe. I was having a panic attack. And in the days and the weeks and the months that followed, yeah, I've had to learn new ways of coping with anxiety and stress that I never have had to do previously. 
But I've also found tremendous hope and comfort in the fact that we serve an amazing, immensely powerful God who brings order out of chaos and who is with us. And that same God, he loves me and is for me. He holds all things together, not just the entire cosmos, but even me and my family and my son. I was reminded in those moments that he's still in control. He's still on his throne. He's still ruling. There's nothing that happens in the world or in my life where he like wakes up, so to speak, and is like, oh man, what in the world am I going to do about this situation? That doesn't happen. He is in complete control. And there's immense hope and comfort in that. Again, because we have a God who is immensely powerful, who brings order out of chaos and who's with us, we have a reason for hope and comfort. Now, as we wrap up, there's one more story from the life of Jesus that's in uh, almost all of the Gospels that I just couldn't stop thinking about uh, as I prepared for this message in Genesis 1. It's a story where Jesus is in a boat with his disciples late into the night when all of a sudden the text says that like this major squall, this storm comes upon them. And so the wind and the waves, everything is crashing in. I imagine that they're like probably trying to bail water out of the bottom of the boat. They're trying to plug holes, just trying to keep things afloat. Sounds a little bit like life, right? Just trying to keep things afloat at times. And what's Jesus doing through the whole thing? He's napping. He's taking a nap. And the disciples are beginning to wonder, like, does Jesus even care about the situation that I find myself in? And so after a period of time of them just struggling, trying to keep the boat moving, trying to keep it afloat, eventually Jesus wakes up. He rises to his feet and he commands the storm and he says, quiet, be still. And in that moment, in the midst of the raging sea and the squall and the wind and the waves and everything crashing in on them, it all just stops. There's complete stillness over the water. Even in the darkness of night and the mayhem and the disorder of the sea crashing in on them, Jesus is there. He's present. And with just a few words, he speaks order into the chaos. Sound familiar? Sound like Genesis 1? See, again, the same God who was in the beginning speaking order into the entire cosmos, that God... He's with you in the boat, even in seasons of life where it feels like he's asleep at the wheel. So do you have any chaos in your life right now? I know I do, so I don't know what you're facing this morning. Maybe like my family, man, this past few weeks with kids back in school and new schedules and everything, it's just felt disorienting. It's felt overwhelming. Like we're just trying to come up to breathe. Or maybe like finances are spiraling out of control. You're not sure where the next rent or where the next mortgage payment's gonna come from. Feels like life is just chaotic and cruel. Or maybe there's a recent health diagnosis that you're like, where in the world is God in the midst of this thing? Or there's a relationship with a family member or a friend that is like literally at rock bottom and you're just like, how in the world is anything gonna change in the midst of that? Wherever you're at today, be reminded that the same God who was in the beginning speaking order into the chaos is with you and he's for you and he loves you. 
He holds all things together in the palm of his hands. He's still at work. From the beginning of the story to the end of the story, God is actively at work bringing order out of chaos, including in your life and in mine. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this reminder of who you are today. I confess that in my own life, it's easy just to get consumed with like the details and the things going on. And some of them are really, really hard and some of them are really, really heavy. But to be reminded this morning through these passages that God, you are a God who not only is involved at just like a cosmic level, bringing order and peace and harmony into the cosmos, but you are the same God that is actively involved in our lives in a really tangible way. You are with us in the boat, in the midst of whatever situation, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. So God, we worship you and we praise you in the midst of whatever storm we might be facing. Help us to recognize the ways that you're at work, the ways that you are present, the ways that you want to minister to us and speak to us. May our lives reflect this world that you've created, that we live lives of order and harmony, and that we would be a people, we would be a community that seek to bring that to the rest of the world, to the people around us, that we would be people of order who are bringing restoration. So God, thank you for who you are. You're great and mighty and powerful. You're also with us. We praise you this morning. In Jesus' name.